Good morning, everybody. Um, today's scripture is from Romans 1, 1 through 6. Paul, a servant of Jesus Christ, called to be an apostle and set apart for the gospel of God, the gospel he promised beforehand through his prophets in the holy scriptures regarding his son, who as to his earthly life was a descendant of David, and who through the spirit of holiness was appointed the son of God in power by his resurrection from the dead, Jesus Christ our Lord. Through him we received grace and the apostleship to call all the Gentiles to the obedience that comes from faith for his name's sake. And you are also among those Gentiles who are called to belong to Jesus Christ. All right. How's everybody doing? Good. Okay. Um, something we didn't announce uh, that I will now is uh, the last week in October we always do uh, a baptism service. And so we're doing one this year as well. Um, the very last Sunday in October, we'll do it in here. Um, it's a beautiful service. We sit up in a big circle baptismal right in the middle. Um, and we give some people the gift of new life and a new start, putting away the old, welcoming the new. Um, if you would like to be baptized, we would love to baptize you. Um, reach out to us. There's, a, I believe, an event on the city you can RSVP to. On oh, the city. We don't use that anymore. Uh, the, the, the website. Um, and we'll make more announcements of how you can get uh, connected with that as well. Several, several people have already signed out to be baptized. Um, and, of course, I'll be teaching on baptism here and there as we approach it. Um, if you are a Christian and have never been baptized, the, the early first century Christians would be like, What? That's impossible. I'm like, no, I am. I'm a follower of Jesus. And you haven't been baptized? That doesn't make any sense. And there's lots of reasons for that. Maybe we'll talk about some of them. Um, but um, it would be great uh, if you did. And so um, that, anything else? No. Um, okay. So today we are, we're still in our intertestamental watermark period between the book of Ma- Matthew, <coughs> the book of Matthew and the book of Acts. We're starting Acts next week. Um, but for the month of September, we have been doing certain topical subjects that I don't usually get to cover uh, when, we're, when we're doing the big books. So we did uh, some Christology the first week, and then we did some Trinitarian theology. And, and last week, we talked about the Bible and translations. And I already had a few people offer to raise money to buy new pew Bibles because they're ESV. <laughs> it's, they're reliable. They're re- I'll say that. They're reliable. I'll just leave it there. Um, uh, and uh, so, yeah, today we're talking about the gospel, and we're going to tie it in to, again, more discussion of the Bible at the very end today. Um, and so today we're going to talk about what it means to, quote-unquote, get saved. Um, what is salvation? What is the gospel? Um, and if you were to put it, like, in a sentence, like in a 140-character tweet, what would it be? Think about that, and think about your answer, and we'll come back to this. Uh, but for now, we're going to pray, and then we're going to start with a question, how do I uh, get saved? Okay, let's pray. Father, thank you for today. Thank you for everyone that you have brought here. I ask that you would be with us, that you would be obviously present with us. Uh, send your spirit to guide us and, uh, and to give us peace. Fill us with joy. Um, remind us uh, that we are loved. Remind us that we, when we gather together, despite our differences of background or appearance or belief or, or uh, individual preferences, despite all of this, we are brothers and sisters and we are, in fact, one family. Um, equals in every way. Um, we are your body, uh, and we are here 
to be filled up so that we can be broken and poured out for those around us who need it. Give us a clear, abundant, and full view of the gospel this morning, of what salvation is, of what the gospel is. Um, Let us repent of old ways and let us put on new ways. Uh, Speak through me. Allow me to be clear and concise and to remember the things that I've talked about and studied this week. Um, We love you, Father. Guide us. Amen. Okay. So the question of how do I get saved, um, it's an interesting question. A lot of people when they ask it, they're not necessarily asking what does it mean to get saved. We tend to use the phrase get saved as if like you got to get this thing. It's like, it's like an iPhone and you got it and like I have it and I, I got saved. And t- did you get saved? If you get saved, getting saved, lots of things come with it. There's like Features and like, and like joy, and it's not just another camera. Um, there's, all, <laughs> there's all kinds of extra things that come with getting saved, and we always talk about it like it's something that we possess. Like, I got saved this date way back then, and this happened. I got saved here. And then it's very, very individualistic. You can be in a group full of people and think that maybe, I think I'm the only one in, in this little group that actually got saved. I don't think these other ones got it. They don't have it. They, never, they didn't get it. Um, it's very sort of personal, individual. Um, it's not in any way communal. It's not in any way like you're part of a people. Uh, it's, it has nothing to do with um, sort of um, an alignment with something. Uh, it's just something you kind of get. And it causes us, when we talk about getting saved, it causes us also to invent all kinds of questions that now have to have theological answers to. For instance, the question of like, well, once you get saved, can you lose that savedness? Can you lose that? Like, if you got it, can it be taken away? Um, That is a question that we only ask because we think of salvation in this way, as it's something that you possess. Um, There is um, tons of debates that go around about whether or not you can you can lose your salvation once you get it, whether or not it can be pulled out of your hands. Um, and too often we describe being or getting saved as, as or having Jesus Christ as our personal Lord and Savior, like just you. It's just you and Jesus. Um, completely neg- neglecting, first off, uh, old good old Rublev and the fact that God is, is a community, okay? Um, and that you've, you are, are being welcomed into this, this thing, this communion um, with a divine God who is, uh, who is three but one, like this whole other thing. Um, and then it's really a lot more like Western individualism, okay? Basically, when we talk about getting saved, we tend to think it, it's sort of, it's, it's consumeristic. That's what I'm getting at. Um, the Western idea of getting saved, it's sort of like you too can have your very own personal savior to meet your every need. Lots of features in this new thing. Um, or worse, we'll talk about Jesus as like, try Jesus, you'll really like him, and you'll be doing Jesus such a huge favor as well, okay? He wants you to get it, to get saved. Um, and in all of this, it's sort of like at some point you sit and think about it, you're like, this has no, what does this mean? Does this have any meaning at all? Um, did I say some words and something, what happened? What is this? And, and there's others who simply reverse the metaphor, the theological metaphor, and they sort of say, okay, well, it's not really like that. It's more like God is shopping, for you, and, and God is getting. He's made his list beforehand. He's predestined what he's going to get at the store, and he's going to the store, and he's picking this and this and this and a side of this and one of these, um, and the rest of it I don't need, right? Um, and this is sort of another way. So it's sort of like God is, is getting 
you, but it's, it's kind of the same interaction. It's just flip-flopped over on the other end, um, sort of like a cosmic predestination lottery. Um, and like you, you are some, you, you're being elect for salvation. And I went into it just for a second. I wasn't planning on talking about this this morning, um, but just, just for a second, I want to talk about election just for a second, just a smidge. Um, the big mistake, and I'll just, the big mistake Calvin made with election um, he, was, he was a great interpreter of scripture. The biggest mistake that he made with election was thinking and coming to the conclusion from uh, a misreading of Romans that election is about going to heaven after you die. Election is about salvation of the person being elect. That is not what Paul has in mind when Paul speaks of election. When Paul speaks of election, he is talking about people being chosen by God to bring salvation to other people to bring blessing to other people. People are not elect for the salvation necessarily of themselves, but for God's work in the world, which is why we had, we had actually talked about a few weeks ago, we were like trying to pick people to serve communion. And I was like, we should just make a card that's got Calvin on the front pointing at you. And it says, you've been chosen. And he flip it over and it says, to serve communion. <laughs> that's a more biblically accurate view of election, except that we're choosing, not God. Um, anyways, um, so there, there's that. Moving on. Um, all of this, all of this just kind of goes to show our natural inclination as modern Christians is to reduce salvation to a matter of individual eternal security, getting it right so we can get into heaven. How do I get God? And what this does is this means um, basically that suddenly we have, we have God rather than God having us. We end up owning God or not owning God. And that's what it becomes, that becomes the meaning of what it means to be saved and to get saved. Um, I own God. The, the, the creator now becomes the possession of the creation. And this doesn't make any sense. This wouldn't have made sense to the first century Christians. Um, the Israelites didn't have Yahweh. Um, they were the people of Yahweh in communion and following Yahweh. Um, this is a totally different way of speaking about getting saved than they had. And so this is what I want to open up this morning. Um, and in order to understand this, we have to actually ask the question, okay, what is salvation anyways? What is salvation if we're going to talk about getting saved and being saved, what is saved? What is this word? What does it mean? Because it's just thrown around um, oftentimes without, without any sort of agreement of like, this is what we're talking about when we talk about being saved, okay? Um, so in order to understand salvation, we're going to have to look at all the ways that it's used in scriptures, but we can't look at all of them because the word is used 45 different times in the New Testament. And the Greek word for, that we translate as salvation and, and saved is, is soteria. Everyone say soteria. Okay. The smaller version of this, saved, is the word, or save is just the word soter. Um, so this is the root word. This is the root idea. As you move through the New Testament, it is used 47, uh, 45 different times. And um, let's look at a few uses of it. Um, Luke chapter 1, verse 77. talks about um, how he, he gives his people the knowledge of salvation uh, through the forgiveness of their sins. Um, the word there is uh, soteria. Um, Jesus said to him, today salvation has come. Soteria has come to this house. 
uh, because this man too is the son of Abraham. For the son of man came to seek and save Soter, the lost. Um, she followed Paul and the rest of us shouting, these men are servants of the most high God who are telling you the way to be saved. Soteria, um, Acts 16. And um, let me give you uh, just one more here. Uh, Romans, Romans 10. 10.1, it says, brothers and sisters, my heart's desire and prayer to God for the Israelites is that they may be saved. Soter, they may, they may, they may find this salvation. Um, every time you see this, the word saved, the word soteria or soter is being used. Um, there's even a sort of a study of, that's sort of what we're doing this morning is something called soteriology, the study of salvation. What is it? How does it work? Um, and... The thing you need to understand about the Greek language is that just because we translate the word into saved in the English language doesn't mean that is the only way it is used or translated in the English language. Um, There are plenty of other words that are used in the New Testament that we translate, that are not the word salvation, that we translate directly from the word soter or soteria. Um, Let me show you a few of the other ways um, that the word soteria is translated. First off, Acts 27. Now, I urge you to take some food. You need it to survive. Soteria. Oh, so it's not just talking about salvation of your soul. It's talking about actual, like, living and surviving, not starving to death. Interesting. Okay, let's go a little farther. Um, Acts 7. Moses thought that his own people would realize that God was using him to rescue Soteria, them, but they did not. So here it's used to speak of people being rescued from slavery. Um, Salvation in this passage is freedom from bondage. This is what salvation is here. Go a little farther, Acts 7, um, verse 34. I have indeed seen the oppression of my people. So we're directly talking about oppression here uh, in Egypt. And I have heard their groaning and have come down to set them free. So Tyria. So here, um, freedom from bondage is what it means to be saved, to receive salvation, Soteria. It's the same word in all the different ways that it is used. And we can keep going and going and going. Um, I say all this because you must know salvation feels different depending on who it is that is being saved, what it is that is wrong in the world around them, um, that is oppressing them or hurting them, whatever healing they need, whatever mercy that they need, whatever forgiveness that they need. Salvation, soteria, takes that form and God grants that to them This is the act of salvation. It is not just something for your soul. It is not just something that is saved up and used later, long after death, that you, that on the other side, you're like, finally, I get to receive my salvation. No, the, 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 the early Christians believed, um, believed that what God was doing was something that was not just reserved for the soul, uh, while ignoring all of the ways in which, uh, we need to be made whole. Um, that would not be salvation in their mind. Salvation was, was bigger. It was holistic. For them, God's plan was the restoration of all things in this world. For them, not, the, uh, not a single prisoner would be left behind bars. Not a single lonely person would be left alone. They would find community. Um, not a single hungry person would go unfed. Not a certain single addict wouldn't be set free when God's kingdom finally came. Not a single soul would escape the love of God. Um, and salvation looks different for different people. 
because we are all suffering the consequences of having um, the wrong kings in this world and making the wrong choices and doing the wrong things. We are all suffering the consequences, and those consequences are part um, of things that God wants to free us from as we align ourselves with a new king, okay? Salvation is not just about your soul. It is not just about saving the souls of the people around you while leaving them in anguish and poverty and oppression and suffering and unforgiveness and loneliness. You don't just hand somebody a tract that's got the gospel message on it and then walk away and never speaking to them again and assume God's going to work it out. This is not the Christian life as it was meant to be. That is not salvation. Um, and you can see this throughout church history. You can go back um, to ancient, uh, to the, the recent history, to colonial times, only a couple hundred years ago, um, when the Europeans um, were ransacking um, um, North Africa and, and moving into the continent and taking, um, uh, and, and taking black men and women as, as prisoners and slaves. Um, by that time, by this time, when, they, when this is happening, they were mainly, uh, it was mainly a Muslim um, continent. Um, Christianity was actually born in Africa, in, in North Africa, by um, the, Christian, the writings of greatest writers of Christian thought, um, Ignatius of, of Antioch, Irenaeus, Tertullian, Augustine, um, in North Africa writing. But by this time, it had been taken over um, by Islam, um, and the Christians were debating, should we teach them um, the gospel? Should we give them the gospel, the message of Jesus? And then eventually they decided we, we best not do that because if we do that, uh, then they will start viewing themselves as our equals and our brothers and sisters because they are, and this is what the gospel reveals. Yet in America, we find documents that talk about how they were having this same conversation. Slave owners writing to other slave owners who are all members of the same churches, writing to each other saying, should we teach Christianity to the human beings that we own or not. Um, if we do, here's the problem. They're going to read books like Philemon and they're going to read books like Romans and they're going to begin to think that they're equal with us and we can't have that, can we? Um, because this is what the actual gospel does. It changes everything about how we move through this world. And so instead, they built these slave churches. This one is still standing today. These slave churches where slaves would go to church where they received certain teachings and certain theologies. Um, and when they came to Jesus, there were um, these missionaries like Francis, Francis Lejeau who, who, who made them sign certificates that said things like this. Do you declare in the presence of God and before this congregation that you do not ask for holy baptism out of any design to free yourself from the duty and obedience you owe to your master while you live, but merely for the good of your soul and to partake in the grace and blessing promised to the members of the church of Jesus Christ? And this is the theology they were teaching them, editing the message of Jesus, editing the actual gospel and saying, this is just for your soul. It does not free you from earthly problems. This is for later. It's your get out of get out of uh, of out of hell free card. This has nothing to do with right now. And right now, you can accept this message, but you must stay in the office to which you are in. And we edited the gospel to create the world that we wanted. And oftentimes, when we speak about salvation as something that only affects our soul and not our relationships with the world around us. We are only doing this because it was passed down to us from people who changed the message itself. 
The early Christians would be appalled as they gather in a house church in Rome, like 20 people under the empire, under the boots of the empire, men and women, slave and free, Jew and Gentile, all gathering together, young and old, all equals at the table, taking turns learning and teaching each other um, from the writings of the apostles as equals in that space. And if you were to sit around and tell them 1,700 years from now, this is going to happen. They would be appalled. They would be appalled at, at a room full of people who would say, oh, salvation is only for the soul. And when you, talk about, when you talk about race and the church, you're just wasting your time. You just need to speak the gospel. I don't think you understand the gospel. And so what is the gospel then? We must deconstruct this thing all the way down to get an accurate view of this. So we're going to do some soteriology today. Let's start with what is, start with, oh, we're way into this. What is the gospel? Um, so the gospel, um, an interesting exercise is to get online and search for like uh, the phrase tweet the gospel. And you will see people try to solidify the gospel down into 140 characters so it could fit on Twitter. And if you search some of these and you try to like, like if you just sign the gospel in one sentence, you just search for all these, you're going to see a lot of things. Um, let me show you some of them today. Um, here's one that I found on Twitter. Uh, God is holy and we are not. God loves us anyway and sacrificed his son We'll keep moving. To make us holy and restore our relationship forever to be with him. So it, when you read these, you're seeing certain things, certain theologies about how, what God did to fix things. Um, uh, let's go a little farther. These are very diverse, some of them. Uh, the gospel is good news. I am loved, saved, and can live forever in perfect happiness with God if I live according to his will. Someone else's take on it. Um, let's get another one, a rather short one. Believe God or die. <laughs> Found that one. Like straight-faced, believe God or die. I don't know what the problem is. And then I heard another one. Um, and I heard another one. I, I've even heard this one actually here. Uh, the gospel is social justice. That is what the gospel is. Um, is it though? Let's, let's talk about this. Let's, let's, keep, let's keep going. Um, um, here's one. Uh, I got some well-known figures too. Here's Rob Bell. He says, and you can hear him saying this too. Uh, the gospel is the counterintuitive, joyous, exuberant news that Jesus has brought, the unending, limitless, stunning love of God even to us. Now, let's go to the other end of the spectrum, and let's look at John Piper. He says, I put them on the same page, guys. They're fighting. Here we go. Um, the gospel is the news that Jesus Christ, the righteous one, died for our sins and rose again, eternally triumphant over all his enemies, so that there is now no condemnation for those who believe, but only everlasting joy. Some of these are doing decent, like the ideas might be there, but the question is, are these things gospel? Not only that, are they bringing salvation? Do these things bring salvation? And if so, soteria, if that is being brought, what kind of soteria is being brought in these sentences? Not one of them addresses human relationships. Not one of them addresses any kind of oppression, except for the dude in the middle. It's just like, yeah, it's just social justice. That's what the gospel is. Um, no, but, and not one of them um, ha is like a bigger, all-encompassing view of the gospel. They're all just sort of like, um, the vast majority of these, except for one, are metaphysical, abstract, non-tangible, afterlife, soul stuff. And then one dude is like, it's not any of that stuff. It's just relationship stuff. Um, and each one of these things can be said, basically, to have no impact 
on the one who needs to be forgiven of egregious sins and at the same time have an impact on slaves and the starving and the lonely and suffering people. So what do we do? Because true soteriology, as, as we can see from the use of the word in the New Testament, it somehow connects both. So what are we missing about the gospel? Um, to find this answer, uh, we need to do some biblical scholarship. So let's do this. Let's look at the gospel uh, in the original day. Uh, are Christians the first one to use the word gospel? Has this word soteria been used? Uh, uh, has the word gospel been used anywhere else? Has the word soteria been used anywhere else? Now, um, I'm going to start with, uh, with this guy right here. His name was Emperor Vespasian. Um, so there was a, quote, gospel quoted about Emperor Vespasian. Um, I, didn't have, I don't have the word up here, but the word gospel in the Greek is the word euangelion. It's, it's, it, it looks like evangelion, except the, the V is a U. Euangelion. It's, it's actually where we get our word for evangelical. It is, it is the people who desire for salvation, um, apparently. And, and like this is what the word euangelion meant, I guess, in their eyes. But um, how was this word used in the ancient world? What did it mean? Um, when we talk about the gospel, the euangelion. So let's look at this guy um, because there's some writings about him. One of them from this guy named Josephus. He was a, a contemporary of Paul. He wrote at the same time Paul was writing his books of the Bible and he uses some of the same words and we can look at how they're used uh, to get a broader understanding of how the word is used. So one of the things he does is he's writing about Emperor Vespasian and how, how he became king and when he became king. And here's what, here's what Josephus says. Uh, fame carried the news about Vespasian abroad more suddenly than one could have thought that he was the emperor over the east upon which every city kept festivals and celebrated sacrifices and oblations for such good news. Euangelion. It's the word gospel that we translate to English as gospel. Um, so here we have a usage of the word, um, sort of a, it's news about a king, Emperor Vespasian. It is news that is spreading that there's this new king and people are having festivals and apparently oblations. I don't know. Let's keep going. Um, um, and okay, here's another one from uh, a little farther down in the text from, uh, from Josephus. And now as Vespasian was come to Alexandria, this euangelia, uh, this good news, also sometimes, um, sometimes the phrase is good tidings. Um, uh, came from Rome, and at the same time from embassies from all his own habitable earth to congratulate him upon his advancement. So here we have the word again, gospel, good tidings, good news, euangelion, um, is used to describe the news that there is a new king and what this means, how he became king and what this means for the world. And people are celebrating the good news. So the good news was this proclamation of a new king. It's funny because not one of the of the gospels, the Twitter gospel tweets, not one of them said the word king at all, at all. It didn't mention a kingdom or anything like that. Let's go um, a little deeper into history. Let's back up a little bit and go to the, uh, the year 9 BC. There was an inscription made um, by Caesar Augustus's um, sort of entourage. Um, it's called the Priene Calendar Inscription. On one side, it's a giant calendar. On the other side, it's sort of this proclamation that Caesar is now king. And it's over here. And let's read it because it is fascinating. Since providence has ordered all things and is deeply interested in our life, he has set in most perfect order by giving us Augustus, whom she filled with virtue, that he might benefit mankind, sending him as savior, soteria, um, 
both for us and for our descendants, that he might end war, arrange all things. So he's, end, he's, he's bringing peace, ending all war. Um, he's arranging all things as they should be, putting everything in order, uh, both for us and our descendants, like in the future, that, we might, that he might end, okay, arrange all things. And since he, Caesar, by his appearance, um, uh, surpassing all previous benefactors and not leaving it to posterity, any hope of surpassing what he has done. Um, so basically, his kingdom is, is going to be bigger than any king has ever experienced. and It will last forever. Um, and since the birthday of the god Augustus, and so now he's like, Augustus was his father, so now he's the son of a god, okay, um, was the beginning of good tidings, euangelion, uh, for the world that came by reason of him. There's a lot of language in here that sounds very familiar to me as a Christian and as a reader of the texts of the Bible. Um, One passage that instantly popped in my mind when I read this was Luke chapter 2. There's these angels that appear in a field, and they speak to the shepherds there, and they have an announcement to make because there's a new king that has just been born. And they make this announcement, and the words are very similar to a lot of the ancient texts that are called gospels about the Caesars. And they say, it says, the angels uh, said to them, don't be afraid. I bring you good news, Evangelion, Evangelion, uh, that will cause great joy for all people. Today in the town of David, a savior, a soteria, has been born to you. He is the Messiah. That means he's the Jewish king. Uh, the Lord, um, that is more of the Gentile sort of Greek king. Um, glory to God in the highest heavens and on earth, peace to those on whom his favor Rests And so they start talking about how he's going to bring peace, good tidings of great joy, um, and that the hope for the world has entered in. And later on, this conversation keeps going about how his kingdom will have no end. It is God finally with us. Um, All of this is the way people spoke when it became apparent that there is someone new in charge around here. This is how people spoke. They used words like soteria and euangelion. And and soteria was the salvation that would come from this huge good news. But but what was the good news? What was the euangelion? The good news was that there is a new king. That's the good news. That is the gospel. Jesus Christ, the crucified, buried, and risen Lord, is now and forever king, and his kingdom will have no end. That is the gospel. It is a simple proclamation of who the king is. And I know you could go all day and you could ask lots of people, hey, what is the gospel? And they're gonna go on about about things that come from the gospel. They're gonna say um, things like justice and mercy and forgiveness of sins. And they're gonna say justification by faith. And they're going to say all kinds of things. These are ways that soteria acts. These are part of soteria. This is, these are things that happen because Jesus is king. Not just because Jesus is king, but because people recognize Jesus as king and they put their faith, the Greek word is pistis, which is allegiance in their king, in their king to follow after this king and to live the way that this king has called us to live. And so it takes faith, it takes trusting that this is the true king, and it takes repentance, repenting of all the things that lead you in this life and aligning your life up with Christ to follow Jesus. And as you do... Salvation begins to come to you, to the people around you, and everywhere that the gospel is proclaimed and received, salvation 
begins to enter into the world. The ancient view of the gospel was that it was an announcement that a new king has ascended to the throne. This is what the pronouncement was. It's an ancient proclamation of a new king. Full stop. This is what the authors of, of the New Testament says, how they understood the gospel. Um, let's look at Romans chapter one, our passage from today. Paul starts off, he starts writing this letter and he, and he mentions this gospel to the people. He says, Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle. Uh, an apostle, by the way, is not just a Christian word. It's, it's someone who the king would send to read the scrolls of like, there's the proclamation of the gospel. There's a new king. His name is uh, Caesar Augustus. Here's how he became king. And here's what this means for all of you. This is what, this is what the gospel was. Paul was an apostle of King Jesus. Um, the gospel that he promised in verse two, beforehand through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures, Verse three, it says, regarding his son, who as his earthly life was a descendant of David. This is a note to the Jewish audience saying, hey, 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 Jewish men and women, he's your king that you have always been waiting for. And then he goes farther in, in, in verse four, he says, and through, who, and through the spirit of holiness was appointed son of God. This is sort of Greek king um, in the same way that they would say Augustus was the son of God. They are now saying, um, hey, Greek, hey uh, Jews, this is your king. Gentiles, this is your king. Both of you. He is the new king. He is risen. Um, uh, by the power of his resurrection from the dead, Jesus Christ, our Lord, the crucified, buried, and risen Jesus is king. This is the gospel. This is what Paul is saying. This is what the gospel is. There are many things that come from the gospel, okay? And so if you were to figure out, um, if you were to really take a big look at what the New Testament is, because last week we talked a lot about the Bible. If I could sum up the New Testament in, a, in, a, in a, a quaint little easy phrase to get, the New Testament is like inviting 12 authors to a table from all different walks and backgrounds and saying, hey, I want each of you to write a letter about what salvation means to you. You all believe in the good news that Jesus is now the king. You have put faith in this king. You have aligned your life to follow this king and you've repented of your other gods and you've destroy the other idols in your life and you're no longer concerned with any of the things that the world is calling you to be concerned with, your status and your identity. You now find your identity in our king. And so because you have put your faith in this king, what has now happened? I wanna hear about the salvation that you have received. What does this mean for you? What is sal this is what the New Testament is. 12 authors describing salvation for them and their people, Okay. So you have four different gospels. We have Matthew that we've been studying for three years. Matthew's audience is the Jewish people. They are finding freedom now with Jesus being their king and Jesus being also the king of the Gentiles. They are finding freedom from their nationalism, from their insistence that this is the land that God wants us to dwell in. These are the borders and, and, and this is who God really cares about and we and God will rule over the rest of the world. And this is how it should go. We will be above all of the Gentiles. We are pristine and we are the perfect people. We are God's people. And salvation is freedom from all this. And it is now finding the Gentile is your brother and your sister. They are your family. The doors have been kicked open. There is no longer one select small group of people. But the world now, the, the, the salvation is open to all who call upon the name of the Lord, not just you. And this is Matthew's message about salvation to the Jewish people. You flip to John, and John is writing to a crowd, some of which may be Gnostic, and John is writing to them, and he's setting them free from all these ideas that they had, free from their empire worship, free from um, their earthly government. He's saying, hey, God is welcoming you into his 
people. Um, and then you look at Paul, and Paul writes tons of different things. Uh, in Romans, Paul's writing about salvation because, because there's, there's, this, there's this group of conservative um, Jewish men and women, and then there's this super liberal group of, of, of Gentiles, and they all have different ways of living, and they're trying to have church together, and it's just really not going well, and they're fighting, and they're trying to conquer each other and get each other to see everything exactly the way they do. And Paul writes to them about God and what God has done, and Paul looks at them, and he says, he says you need salvation from all of this. He says, God has bound you together as brothers and sisters. What are you willing to give up of your rights, of your identity, to enter into community with your enemy on the other side of the aisle? Because you are all citizens in the kingdom of God. What, how can, and, then, and that's why we get to chapter 8 and it all lines up. Um, and then another representation that we see of, of, of salvation in Paul because of the gospel is you, you get to this very short book that we read last year um, and it's called Philemon. And it's Paul writing a letter to this slave owner named Philemon. And he writes to the slave owner and says, hey, so one of your slaves that you own, this human being that you own, um, he came to see me. He ran away and he came to see me and he may have even stolen something from you, but he came to see me and I'm sending him back to you with this letter begging you to take him back into your house, not as your slave, but as your brother and as your equal. Because this is what salvation does. Because salvation does tackle oppression and racism and supremacy and it, it, it attacks um, any form of earthly nationalism of, of, of like, no, I'm committed to this earthly king and, and it attacks all of this and says, no, 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 no. We are a people around the world who follow King Jesus. Our brothers and sisters are everywhere. And together we believe in the proclamation of the gospel. And this proclamation is bringing millions of different types of salvation to the communities in which we live because everyone needs salvation in different ways. And we don't have some big flag as some big nation that we're waving. His banner over us that we hold over our heads is love. This is the banner that he swings over our head that we proclaim. This is what God is doing. These are the things that come about because we have a new king. There are things that come about because we are ruled by a perfect king. And as we become like our king, we grow in allegiance and faith in Jesus. And so when you speak the gospel, when you proclaim, I'm sorry, there's, there's a new king. It's, it's, it's the crucified, buried, and risen Jesus. He sits on the throne of me, of this world, and of you, whether or not you realize it. His kingdom will have no end. It will be eternal. And everything will be brought under his wings and everything will be made whole again. And so I reject your kings. I reject the ways in which you are commanding I conform to your way. I reject the identities that you are offering and the path towards happiness that you offer. We're not getting something. We're not getting anything. We're believing and putting allegiance in a path and a way and a king. And as we align ourselves with our king, salvation comes in the form of forgiveness of sins, Salvation of our souls, renewal of our insides, as well as renewal of the world around us. And it will eventually confront every single thing that is broken in our human relationships. This is what salvation is. It is not one single thing. And if something is broken around you, God is calling you as a believer in the gospel and as a proclaimer that there is this gospel, this new king, and as someone who's put their faith in this, in, this, in this king, God is calling you to enter into relationship with this broken thing and to mend it and make it whole. 
as best as you possibly can and to call all of your brothers and sisters and to welcome these people in as your equal, as your brother and your sister. The gospel demands it. This is what it is. I think as we take communion today, we need to, our communion service, you guys can go ahead and take the elements and spread around the room. We need to contemplate the ways that we have pondered the gospel. Is it something that is just for you? Or is it actually hope for the world? Is your gospel, your good news, your good tidings, is it good news at all? Or are you first running around trying to convince people of the terrible news before you offer them the good news? What is your gospel that you are proclaiming? Would the early Christians even recognize it as gospel? I say that because every one of the tweets on that list, not one of those would have been a recognized, understandable gospel for the early church. None of them. We must think deeply about what we have inherited in the scriptures. We must handle it rightly. We must think seriously about it. It has the ability to set everything to rights and to reconcile everything with our God, with God and people. It has the ability to fix our racial divides, to fix the ways that we live in in our creation, the way we interact with our environment around us, whether or not we're taking advantage for personal gain and destruction of the environment that God has given us to live in or whether we are taking part in the renewal and nourishing of it. It has everything to do with our human relationships as well as with our relationship to God. Each flow out of each other. And so I want to ponder these things today. This is a good time for repentance. This is a good time for um, letting go of things that you know you've needed to let go of for a while. It's a good time to contemplate baptism and a fresh start and a fresh commitment to this king um, being born into this kingdom and a proclamation to the world, I am in, my faith is with this king and I forsake these other kings. And so as you go into communion today, I want you to spend some time in prayer first. If you wanna pray with the people around you, even if it gets noisy, nobody cares. Um, If you need to spend some time talking through some things, um, sometimes uh, maybe just in silent embrace, if whatever it is that you are seeking that you need, there's always people here who are hurting, there's people here who are celebrating, there's people who are in all different places and they need you to be with them and to hear them and to see them. So take communion with somebody this morning. If you see someone taking communion alone, it looks like they need somebody there with them. Put your arm around them, take communion, look them in the eye and say, hey, the body of Christ was broken for you and it was poured out for you, just like it was broken and poured out for me. Um, If you need prayer, right through these double doors on the right, there will be some people there in the prayer room to pray with you. Um, But by all means, take up plenty of time in this room this morning and take your time and and whenever you're ready, come on up, take a piece of bread, dip it in the wine and eat it. Um, It's the body of Christ broken for you. It's the blood of Christ poured out for you, for your healing and wholeness. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this place and these people. Bring us healing, bring us wholeness. Help us see that the gospel is not just some personal thing that we use to our advantage. It is a proclamation of of a worldwide king one who has a plan and intentions to save those who are lost, to mend the things that are broken. I pray that somehow we would see that and we would take part in that this morning. Continue to make us whole. Continue to give us a vision of your kingdom, 
how the world will be when your kingdom fully is revealed. Um, And let us live that way now. Let us not uphold these things that you actually have to tear down to plant your kingdom. Thank you, Father. In your name, amen. Take some time, take communion, pray with each other, talk to Jesus, and uh, we'll see you next week.